0: Almost every time I start a new series, I say, I'm so excited about this series, and I'm so glad that I get this chance. I'm always glad to bring the Word of God, but this time I'm less excited, and that's because I'm more nervous. And the reason why I'm more nervous is a lot of people do not like to think about their death. And uh, I was nervous that last week when I announced we're going to talk about this for three weeks, one minute after you die, I thought, what if it's like half the crowd decides, I don't want to listen to that, and they don't show up. So I want to thank you for being here today and deciding to come, especially if you knew this was coming. Very important topic, by the way. And part of the reason for nervousness is that not everybody's gonna agree with the answer. You'll have the thought like, well, how would you know? And what happens one minute after you die? Have you ever died? And of course, that's kind of where the predicament is in all of this who knows, and how can you know? And so I want to introduce the topic with some thoughts even about how can you know, and on what basis are you going to have this discussion? And so I brought the universe with me, okay? So a couple weeks ago, I used a white box. I I have other illustrations besides white boxes, by the way, but I have a white box illustration again. So here's a white box that illustrates that uh, the universe, here's how a lot of people think of it. It's like We can study it, we can look into it, science has a view of it, so on and so forth. And if you believe in God, you kind of think of it in terms of a universe, it makes sense of the whole thing in a united way because it's designed by a designer. If you don't believe in God, you tend to use other phrases like, the cosmos is all there is and it is everything, and there isn't anything outside of the box. All there is is the cosmos. There isn't anything outside of the cosmos. The cosmos is all, and that's not how I look at it. I look at it as the universe that God created, and he is not part of the universe. He created the universe, so he's outside and created the entire universe, and in fact, that's why it makes sense and is unified. That's kind of where I'm coming from, but On what basis can I say that? And why would I say such things? And can we come to sort of looking at this, if you're not a believer in God, it's like, well, that's not how I look at it. I look at everything is what we can see with our senses, study empirically, science is truth and fact, and religion is just kind of faith and feelings. And I say, really? Now, as we look at the universe, what's interesting to me is the idea of the box. Because the idea of the box is the universe itself, as we study it, has an origin according to science. And because of that origin, and they, they study all of the uh, expanding universe and the diminishing energy of all of the matter that's diminishing in energy, they presuppose or they posit that hypothesize that there's a beginning as everything is cooling off and the energy source is diminishing. And so then they ask the question, but can't answer it with science, what caused the Big Bang? There's no scientific answer for that. Now, here's when the lid of the box is ajar. Because now you're asking scientific questions And science itself demands that we ask questions that cannot be answered by science because there's no scientific way of looking empirically at origin. There's no scientific way of looking empirically at answering the question, what caused the Big Bang? And so now the lid is open to ask questions that are outside of the box. And when I say box, the empirical box. If the box is only what we can see and sense with our senses and lenses and scientific tools, then there's a nice, neat, tidy box. So when we're dealing with the question of what happens one minute after you die, science can't answer that other than as they observe your body. And so science will have one answer as they observe what happens to your body one minute after you die. Theologians will have a different answer. Why is that? Because we are asking a question that's outside of our box. Now, that's really interesting to me, that science itself, and not just this area, many areas, almost demands that we ask questions that science itself cannot answer. Why is that? So I'm gonna do another illustration with another box. It's one of my favorite boxes, by the way. It's an Etch-a-Sketch. How many of you are familiar with this? You grew up with this. This came out the year I was born, um, 60 years ago or so. And it's still popular. You can buy it at Walmart, Amazon, whatever, 1490-something. And it's early generation iPad. First-generation iPad, maybe. And you use these two knobs, and the two knobs control some controllers inside, one on one axis, one on another axis, which etches the surface of the glass on the surface of this box, etches away some material that clings to the glass, and it creates a view line that looks black as we look at it. As a kid, I loved to just etch and etch and etch, 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 a whole section away so I could look into the box. And you can see, oh, that's how it works. That's from the outside looking in. Oh, I get it. Now, I want us to imagine that we were in the universe, and this is the universe, and we're inside the box, and we want to see outside the box, and we're looking through an etched line. And we get sort of like a glimpse. There's, There's something out there. Maybe there's somebody, whoa, that mechanism just moved. Maybe there's somebody turning the knobs. Okay, And we want more and more etches into the surface so we can see through the box and get experiences of something that explains the reality of it all. How did we get here? Where did the universe come from? And I love that analogy because so much of it is very similar to the way that we discover truth through a different lens than the scientific lenses. It's called the lens of Revelation. When you have a glimpse, a revealed glimpse of a reality that is outside of the box. So, if we're asking questions about what happens one minute after you die, let me just jump to the chase. The best source of the answer would be somebody that came from outside the box Entered into our box, lived, and started revealing all kinds of lines of revelation. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus is the best revelation of God himself ever. And there's been all kinds of revelation of God up until this point. But Jesus is the best, most supreme revelation of what God is about and what God is like. And there's been all of this history anticipating so that we could... Put all the pieces together. As all these lines come together, we get a better view than we've ever had before. Now let me just talk about why we're not getting a good view to begin with. We're not getting a good view outside of the box because of our sin. According to Revelation, it's because of our sin that we can't see a reality outside of our box. We are limited to our sensory observances. The moment sin took place, we are now not able to see heavenly and spiritual realities because God is holy and we are not. And a distance took place. He cast the first pair of humans outside of the experience they had had before their sin. So I actually want us to consider something different than we usually consider. We usually think of the entire universe as where we live, and God is outside of it. No, 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 no. God is in it, out of it, made it, but we are blind to it. The heavenly realms, the scripture said, has two sides. There's the heavenly realms, of spiritualities that are good and holy where God dwells, but there's the heavenly realms where evil is there too, which we can't see. And there's a clash between evil and good in realms we cannot see. And God dwells nearer than we think. And so I used to think that God is so far away that I didn't understand passages like, because of the Lord Jesus Christ and because he's healed my sins, atoned for my sins, he could put his spirit inside of me and literally I can be right here with him and he can be here with me. And the spirit becomes a guarantee of what is to come outside of the box whoa. Okay, so that's some amazing stuff. And it started to make sense to me then, oh, so you could say that I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realms right now. And I'm not supposed to think he's way beyond the edges of the universe in a place called heaven. and I'm seated with him way out there. I don't even know how to do that with my mind. No, I'm seated with him right here but I can't see it, sense it, or know it, except through the spirit as these two realms, which we only have glimmers of, are actually nearer than you think. We just don't have the tools and equipment to know about it in the same way as our empirical sciences evaluate true realities. There's another tool to evaluate true realities that we're not equipped apart from these tools. Revelation, God revealed himself. He said prophecy after prophecy after prophecy about a coming Messiah. The Messiah came. It all was in fulfillment of the prophecy. It predicted his birth, the location of his birth, how he would be killed. He reiterated he would be killed in this way. He was killed and he rose from the dead. And it all fit together. Now, if none of those prophecies, the prophecies were there, and then you were asking, so why should we listen to him? Well, he's doing some pretty amazing stuff. With that miracle, he's etching into our box a glimmer of a reality beyond our empirical data. And he's etching another glimmer into the glory of the Almighty with every miracle, with everything, and then he predicts his own resurrection. frankly, the best information we can have to answer the question, what happens one minute after we die, is to listen to the guy who conquered death. That's where I'm coming from. So the rest of today is going to be a fire hose of revelation, of information that comes from outside of human ability to evaluate from God's revelation to us, from Jesus' revelation to us, that there's a reality beyond our senses that we need to talk about. Now, some of you still are not sure about any of this, and you kind of look at all there is, is what I can see, know, and whatever. So the rest of today is what I believe to be true based on authority that I trust, And your information that you believe to be true is based on authority that you trust as well. I'm going to encourage you to look to the authority of Jesus Christ, the authority of revelation in history, the authority of what actually happened in history, that unbelievers as well as believers both write about, the crucifixion, and then this puzzle, did he really rise from the dead? Consider all of this and see where the evidence leads. So we're going to jump into the question, what happens one minute after you die? We're going to have three shots at this question. So the first week is today. We're at the threshold of eternity and talking about what's going to happen right beyond that threshold, and we're going to jump into two different sides of that question. Eternity with God, eternity apart from God, that's... Out of order, though, we're going to handle next week, eternity apart from God, and then the week after that, eternity with God. Today we're looking at, we're at the threshold, what happens, what's going to happen just beyond the threshold as we enter into this concept, this reality, eternity. We're going to begin with Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 24, at the threshold of eternity, He said, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Oh, wait a minute. You don't even have to die to have eternal life? I always think in terms of, and so many others, think in terms of you die, then you have eternal life. And how could you know you have eternal life or not until you die? No, 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 you can know now by the Spirit that guarantees the reality that you can, you're starting to experience eternal kind of life now because the Spirit has entered into your life, you can know and have it starting now. That's the eternal kind of life in Jesus Christ. In Matthew 16, 26 through 27, we read, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit his, their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the son of man, Jesus referred to himself that way, is going to come in his father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So I want to go with the theme of the entire series for the next three weeks today and two weeks to come. Here's the reflect. What you believe about eternity determines how you live today. I want that to sink in. Because what you believe about eternity really does determine how you live today. Jesus says a lot of things. And uh, the next thing we're going to read is John 11, where he interrupts a funeral and he comforts very distraught sisters, Mary and Martha, and we jump into the middle of the story in John 11, verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Just as you'll recall, Jesus got word that his good friend Lazarus had died, but he delayed. Actually, he got word that he was sick, and then he delayed. He delayed until he was after his good friend died, and then showed up at the funeral. Verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And we go, what did you just say? It's like, that didn't make any sense. It sounds like doublespeak. But it does make sense once you understand Jesus' categories. And once you end Jesus's, understand Jesus' categories, it makes sense perfectly. So I want to just get into Jesus' categories. You could understand it from the rest of Jesus' teaching, but Paul put it pretty clearly in a lengthy passage, and we're going to jump into that next. So point number one, just to make this quicker, point number one is this. Or A on your outline. I haven't fixed mine. Only our physical bodies die. Only our physical bodies die. So even though you die, you actually live. Is what Jesus is saying. And Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians 5. It's a, a great passage and it requires a little bit of explanation as we go, but let's just jump into it. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, When this earthly tent we live in is taken down. Now, I find it fascinating that Paul uses this terminology because that was his trait. He was a tent maker by trade to earn his income because he didn't want to have the churches all over have to support him. He was establishing new churches that didn't have, you know, he he just said, I want to be self-supporting here and just make this happen. And so he was a tent maker by trade. And now he's comparing our earthly bodies to a tent that your soul is housed in, which is how he views our temporary condition now that our souls are eternal, tents wear out. That's why he has a a trade that really worked well. He would repair tents, he would replace tents, he would make tents, etc. So when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself. Now notice he says, he doesn't say we will have no body, he says we will have a heavenly body, an eternal body. It's just different. But we will outlive this body if you're united with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, actually, we will outlive this body either way because our souls are eternal. The question is, eternally where? And that's what week two and week three get into. (coughs) Which is why I was a little nervous about this series. It's like... Not comfortable. Let's start with the truth. Only our physical bodies die. Two, or B. I'm going to have to fix that. Our souls are eternal and separate from our bodies. And he continues in the discussion, same passage, 2 Corinthians, he says, we grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. Some of you have never really grown weary, and like groaning, and aching, and I'm just now getting there. It's like, ugh. I turned 60 this week. It's like, I'm, I'm trying not to feel it. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies. This is encouraging stuff if you want to be encouraged. Hey, we are eternal. We'll outlive these bodies. We're going to be given eternal bodies. I like that. We will not be spirits without bodies. I don't know if you thought we just kind of float around. We don't have a body. Float in the clouds sounds kind of boring. No, we have eternal bodies. They're heavenly. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's... How many of you groaning lately? Okay. All right. We groan and we sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies. No, 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 no. We're clinging. (laughs) We're clinging to everything, trying to make it the best we can. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. What a great phrase. New bodies. Bodies that swallow up our old decaying tents with a new house. God Himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, He has given us His Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. So if you only are going to accept the science empirical evidence, you're going to have a closed box and you will have questions about what happens and you'll open the lid. But if you won't accept information beyond the empirical senses, and I think you should because even empirical senses rely on lenses, microscopes to help us see things we can't see telescopes to help us see things we can't see here we have the lens of scripture to help us see things we can't see and it's got some authority to it because of what took place in history it makes us ask questions like whoa there's something to this and so we apply our faith in that direction whereas empiricists apply their faith in another direction but it's both faith What do you trust as your authority? For we live by believing, verse 7, and not by seeing, verse 8, yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. It's like, how many of you want to go to heaven? And everybody goes, yes, yes, yes. How many want to go today? Uh, But according to this, Here's a longing because he's so confident in the guarantee that he's already experienced. It's so much better what he's looking forward to. He has a different view. If it's God's will, yes, today. Except for maybe he does say, but I really have a lot of people I still love and care about that I want to make sure they're coming with me, okay? For then we will be at home with the Lord. Look at verse eight again. What happens one minute after you die? Yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then, one minute after you die, we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. Our goal from the moment that we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Master, King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is united with the God of the universe, who is the one through whom the whole creation was created, we're already pleasing him now because we have an eternity with him that we're looking forward to and we've already begun. See on your outline or 3 on my outline. We will all face judgment. We will all face judgment. This is what happens one minute after we die. I sounded so excited before, and some of you been, I'm less excited now. <laughs> yeah, well, let's just look at the reality here. Hebrews 9.27, just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, we don't get second chances Everything that will determine what's going to happen afterwards is going to be up until the minute we die. We don't get second chances. Judgment comes right after death. That's important to consider. And so we're going to jump into that a little bit. So point number two is there are two judgments. We need to understand a little something about these judgments. There are two judgments. And your outline, we're first judged in or out at the great white throne. Revelation 20, 11 through 12, we read, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And and I don't have time to go into everything, but you continue reading, and you discover what is in the book of life. And names are in the book of life. And if your name is in the book of life, you're in. If your name is not in the book of life, you're out. And that's the great white throne judgment, to determine whether you're in or out. And then Jesus confirmed this kind of thing in a very sobering passage. He he confirmed it with many statements, but this is one of the most sobering to me. In Matthew 7, he said this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Now, those are some powerful statements. We had religious experience. We did this and this. We called on your name. We were able to do even this. And Jesus says, verse 23, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So how do you know If your name is in the book or not. And some people say, you can't know until you die. No, John says you can know. I write this so that you may know that you have eternal life. And the Spirit guarantees that you have eternal life. You can know before you die that your name is there. And I want to encourage you that way. And these people thought their name was there, but for all the wrong reasons. They thought they'd achieved it. They thought they'd earned it. Religiously, they did all the things according to their religious system, and they were able to do this and this and this and this, and they never had a loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, Get away from me. You rejected me. And the very people that claimed those things crucified him, they could get in without him. That was their viewpoint. But as soon as they face him, it's like, well, well, we did all this good stuff. I was a good person. I did religious things. I did this and this and this. He says, what does that count for? It doesn't count for anything. Your name is not in the book. I never knew you. You never knew me. Only those who know me come through me to the Father. The audacity of Jesus to say such things. But what if it's true? The second judgment, judge to receive, this is beyond your outline, judge to receive rewards or loss of rewards at the seat of Christ. Now we're jumping back into the Second Corinthians passage that we left off with earlier. In verse 10, we hear Paul write this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I believe this is different than the white throne. This is the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Now, in the Roman games, they had a Bema seat. And the Bema seat wasn't to determine whether you were eligible or not to join the games. The Bema seat was after the games were all over. The award ceremony was handed out as to how you did in the race. It's a completely... Different kind of things. So let's read this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So a lot of people read this and they get really confused. They think all of judgment is judging how we've done good or bad. And we get into heaven if we've done enough good of things and we didn't do as many bad things. As long as the good outweighs the bad, we're in. This is not about in or out. Having your name in the book is whether you know Jesus or not, and accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior and Lord. He gets you in. But there are rewards that are awarded based on your life of deeds. Not that you've earned those rewards, because you're only saved by grace, and even your thank you and gratitude that is what the rest of your life is about walking and following Jesus. He has stated over and over again, if you do this, I'll reward you. If you do this, I'll reward you. If, you're just, if your thank you life, your grateful life is, is looks like this, you're going to be rewarded for it. There are eternal results for everything done in faith, in gratitude, when you're connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so don't be confused. There are two judgments one is determining whether you're in or out based on Jesus. And one, whether you receive rewards or no rewards, and the ramifications there, and to get into that a little bit more, here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, starting at verse 11, he says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So if you build your life on that foundation, watch this, because he's going to describe how you could be saved, but have nothing but the foundation to show for it. Now let's read it and see what, it, see what he says here. Now, verse 15 is the kicker. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Why are they saved? Because they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, so they have the foundation, but they never built anything on that foundation. Or they built so shoddily on that foundation, it burned up with the tests. Nothing eternal resulted in the life given over to Jesus. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. I mean, he could have just as well said, yeah, you're saved, but by the skin of your teeth. Barely. Nothing to show for it. So I want us to imagine right now one minute after you die, white-throne judgment, you're in. <laughs> yes. Bema seat judgment, the seat of Christ, but you have nothing to show for it. And all these other rewards are going to these people who they lived life for eternal values. They lived with eternal significance. They poured their lives out denying themselves, taking up the cross, and following Jesus Christ. They laid out their life before Jesus. Jesus said, I want you to talk to that guy. Okay, I'm your servant, I'm talking to that guy. And because they served other people, and served his kingdom, and served people, they get to heaven and they get these thank you, thank you, thank you, I'm here because of you. And they get from Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant. But there are some in heaven with nothing to show, for the fact that they believed in Jesus. They got in, but there's no rewards. No eternal things were built and done that are lasting forever. Did you know that we can have lasting impact with the decisions we make now? You do it in faith, it's going with you. You're just living for yourself right now, it's not going with you. So to get at that, here's a reflect. Here's the danger, even for believers. The longer we live, the deeper our roots can sink into the soil of this world, clinging to the temporary instead of the eternal, clinging to the comfortable, what we see, valuing what people think more than what God thinks. 2 Corinthians 4:18 Paul writes, "So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What are you living for? We're at the threshold of eternity. We need to be living for eternity." We need to be slicing off roots that are clinging to this earth, clinging to this comfort, clinging to self-centered life, clinging to all, it's all about me and grabbing a hold and putting roots deeply into eternity, deeply into the Lord Jesus Christ, deeply into our wholehearted love for him. We were following the number one thing. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. It's all about you. It's all about eternity. It's not about me. It's not about now. And we get to see him face to face. He says, well, Done, my good and faithful servant. What are you living for? We are at the threshold of eternity. Make it count. Let's finish with this prayer. Dear God, thank you that this life is not the end. Thank you for making a way for us through Jesus to spend an eternal life with you. Holy Spirit, reveal to us when our perspective is off track. We want to do your will here while we're on earth. Teach us how to live with eternity in mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me if you'd like to pray that prayer? Let's pray it loud. Let's pray it with faith. Let's pray it with confidence. Let's pray it with gratitude. Ready? Dear God, thank you that this life is not the end. Thank you for making a way for us through Jesus to spend an eternal life with you. Holy Spirit, reveal to us when our perspective is off track. We want to do your will here while we're on earth. Teach us how to live with eternity in mind. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm hoping you'll come back next week. It's uncomfortable. But it's very important to get a hold of because souls are eternal. And we need to understand that. What we're looking at and have the compassion of Jesus Christ for those who don't yet know him, that's what next week is about. Hope to see you back next week. If you have any prayer burdens, things you'd like to be supported in, we've got a prayer team to the right of the stage. Hope you'll take advantage of that. If you have questions even and you just want to say, I want eternal life and I'm not sure I have it, they'd be happy to pray with you. Uh, whatever that might be. So what is your prayer need? Where are you at? Go to the prayer team. God bless you. See you next week.